Welcome to episode 205. Did you grow up in an environment where you were told to suck it up, don't cry, or that you weren't good enough, you're stupid, or even things far worse? If your answer is yes, then it's highly possible that you also have a bit of a sugar addiction and you've been cycling around the diet yo-yo loop for decades as well. The reality is the diets don't work because they don't heal that part of you that was fed all of those awful belief systems that you currently hold and reinforce about yourself, which is why today's episode is incredibly important because we talk about how self-shame and self-loathing is created, which is actually the bit that really needs the work and coincidentally is the piece that is missing from all fad diets. This conversation is a beautifully vulnerable account of a lived experience and most importantly, a success story, a transformation from shame and self-punishment with food to self-love and optimal health. This is a good one. And for all the parents out there, I know you'll get this, but we had a cute little visitor in the middle there. So please bear with us with some of the audio. Hashtag mum life. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Here we are again, you and I having a totally one-way conversation. I think it's time that you started saying something here. I'm feeling a bit lonely. (laughs) One of the many ways that I solve said loneliness is that this year in 2022, I work super hard to fulfill my mission to coach 300 women to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. The good thing about working in this space of emotional eating, mindset upgrade, and doing that deep inner work that's required is that... A lot of the practitioners and experts are quite amazingly grown and personally developed themselves, as you might expect, since they're leading and guiding others to do the same. And today's podcast guest is in this arena with me, and we somehow got connected via social media with no prior knowledge of each other, jumped on a Zoom call, and instantly were like, we are so on the same wavelength. I want to introduce you to Marlene Moore, who is a 36-year-old single mum who was born and raised in an emotionally tough environment, particularly for women in Northwest Africa, to be exact, Egypt of all places. And she's in fact, she in fact ran away from the country at the age of 19, came here to Australia and now lives in Sydney. Her emotionally, emotional eating challenges started at a young age and didn't change just because she found herself in the great land of Australia. Alongside the emotional overeating and sugar binges, there was the all too familiar self-loathing and savage self-talk, which I know from experience is something that I myself have worked on a lot and literally every single one of my clients works through as well. Eventually though, Marlene found herself and the answers and she managed to turn emotional eating into self-love and won Australia's National Bikini Mama category in 2021 and now runs a self-love for permanent weight loss course, transforming other humans to be as awesome as she is. Marlene, welcome to the show. Hey, Maddie. My goodness, what an introduction. I'm like, who's he talking about? Is that me? (laughs) It's definitely you. You're fantastic. I'm so excited to be here. And you explained it so well. We are so on the same wavelength. And I'm still in awe of you because I have not met, met a man like you before who's just so aware of this stuff. So, yeah, I'm in awe. Thank you for having me, Maddie. Oh, you are more than welcome. I need to put um, that that spiel that you just said on my dating profile. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I would really love to start by understanding like your origin story. It's so unique compared to other guests that I've had on before. Like, you know, I mean, you grew up in Egypt and obviously, you know, apart from my understanding of the pyramids in my year four assignment, (laughs) I basically, all I know is that especially for women, it's a super, super tough environment. So like, can you start us? Yeah. What was it like growing up in Egypt as a woman? Absolutely. You know what? There used to be so much shame for me around the story. So the fact that I talk about it now um, Mm -hmm. is a huge thing. Uh, because even when I ran away, I was accused of tearing the family apart and I carried that shame with me for a long time. So like there's been so much healing for me since then. But yes, I was born in Cairo, Egypt and um, raised by my mum up until age four when my dad returned from the US. And my dad was very aggressive, a very angry man. So it wasn't even just the culture. It was predominantly the father figure in the house. Yeah. That caused a lot of the tension, a lot of the the trauma in the childhood, but essentially the message ingrained in me growing up was a woman with no reputation is better than a woman with a good reputation. And you should go from your father's house to your husband's house and don't have a voice. Don't be heard. Um, and even I hope it's okay to say this, here on your podcast, but even my sexuality was not something that was mine. It was something that was protected and preserved for somebody else later in my future, if that makes sense. So with the amount of suffocation, I suppose, and the the stress of having such an angry dad whose mood really dictated the energy of the entire house, um, I think I grew up One, and there's there's a term for this I found out from a psychologist called enmenchment. When you grow up in a household with one parent who dictates the mood in the house, a lot of people will will be able to relate to this, you grow up feeling responsible for how others feel. If somebody's angry, you think it's your fault that you've done something or you didn't do something. And so I never grew up with an internal sense of self-worth. It was always externally derived and always based on other people around me. Um, And of course, I've never learned how to deal with the emotions. I don't think anybody in our generation really learned. I think our parents definitely didn't know anything about emotional intelligence or even like (laughs) mental well-being, right? Yeah. So I just, I ate a lot of my feelings, you know, and mom, bless her, you know, she, you know, she felt that I was upset. She'd give me chocolate. And when you're young, you don't know how to talk about what's upsetting you. You don't know how to express yourself. So that became the pattern that my young brain learned, which is difficult emotion, eat some food. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was, I think, 15, I was like 94 or 96 kilos, Maddie. Yeah, wow. And how tall are you? Uh, 5'4", 160 centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like 200 pounds, I'm pretty sure. Maybe 210 pounds. Um, so, yeah. So, and I'd been on every diet under the sun as well. Yeah. Like, you know, no carb and this and that. Um, but when I hit that weight, like, it really affected me, especially at that age. You know, 16, 17. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, 
so it affected my self-worth a lot and it became my mission to change that. And I did, but through really unhealthy means. Mm-hmm. Like I lost the first, I think, 20 kilos having a boiled egg for breakfast, no lunch, run after school, come home, have some lettuce and chicken. Oh, wow. You would have been so hungry. I was, but I just became a master of punishing myself, which is what a lot of women out there are doing. They're getting results, yeah. but through punishing themselves. And then, as you know, of course, shot my metabolism in the foot, God knows how many times, and I could yeah. just look at food or smell food, and it would just, yeah. you know, on my hips. There it goes again. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the battle, like, persisted for a very, very long time, even when I lost the first 20 of the 45 kilos. Um, just keeping that off was a constant struggle. Mm-hmm. And then at age 19, I found myself engaged uh, to somebody who had dislocated a shoulder of mine before. Um, so he was not too different than my dad. Yeah. And I realized that, first of all, I didn't want to be engaged to this guy, but nobody really bothered to ask, right? My dad's too scary to go have a conversation with him. So I just found myself fucking engaged. He has a, excuse my language. I'm sorry. You can edit that out later. Go for it. (laughs) There's no rules on this podcast. (laughs) So I just found myself engaged and I just saw my future. I was like, I'm repeating the same mistake of my mother Mm. and I need to break the cycle. Mm -hmm. And so I was very lucky because my mom was an Australian citizen. Because she'd come to Australia with her parents in 1969 when they were just handing out citizenship. Here you go. Here you go. (laughs) So I went to the Australian embassy and had to prove that I was her daughter. Um, Now, that cost money. We didn't have any money because my my father was very well off, but he was so stingy with money because he didn't want us to have any freedom. And we weren't allowed to work. We weren't allowed to earn any money either. So... This is all the law of attraction, but just sitting there thinking about it, like for weeks and weeks, then these two guys approached me from my philosophy class and they said, there's a competition that pays winners $2,000 each. We're looking for a third person to complete our team. They're like, we think you're pretty smart. Can you be in our team? I said, sure. So opportunity landed in my lap. We won. I got my $2,000. Now, nice. yeah, about a grand of that went on getting the new passport. Mm-hmm. And I had a, about $1,000 left. I got a plane ticket to Romania, I think it was, which was the furthest I can go. Now, I got chased to the airport by my family. Whoa. Yeah. This feels like a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really it really is. I'm not even giving you all the details. But I got, yeah, I bet. <laughs> I got chased by my family through the airport. Um, and my they found me. My uncle snatched my passport out of my hand, my Australian passport. Um, but I had a moment of brilliance and I just turned to the guard and I said, I don't know who that man is, but he just took my passport. You need to get my passport. And so he chased after him and, and he said, there's an Australian passport. You can't, you can't hold on to her by law. I got back my passport, boarded the flight, went to Romania and then called an uncle who was here. And I said, I'm in Romania. I'm not going back to Egypt. I can stay here or I can come to Australia, which I prefer, but you have to give me a ticket. And he did. And I came to Australia, worked three jobs, seven days a week, paid him back, set myself up with a little studio, still continued with the emotional eating. 
because I was very, very scared and depressed and a lot of difficult feelings that I still hadn't learned how to process. So starve myself all day, binge every night, wake up, hate myself, starve myself again, just to binge again at night, over and over again. Mm -hmm. Until one day, I actually heard my inner dialogue, actually heard myself and recognized that was me speaking to like eight-year-old me. And I had woken up after another binge and looked in the mirror and said something along the lines of, you're a fat piece of shit. Who's ever going to love you? And I still get emotional saying it now. But I heard it for the first time. Yeah, that's so that's so overwhelmingly confronting. And when you when you experienced that moment, was it your were you you were picturing the past where maybe your dad was saying something or Yeah, to you? I recognized those as the words of the people that I'd ran away from, be it bullies at school or my dad who, you know, used to say to me, You're never gonna amount to anything. But I recognized in that moment that I'd ran away from an entire continent, an entire culture, an entire family. Mm-hmm. And I was abusing myself. I'd become my own abuser. Yeah. And I broke down in tears, Maddie. Like on the of floor course. on my knees. And I just gave myself a hug. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I promise I see you now. I promise I'm going to love you now. And that's what I did. I sort of dedicated my life to just figuring out what is self-love? What does that look like? It's not starving myself and punishing myself and all that, then what is it? Yeah, such a great question. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and real and Thank honest and, and just totally being you. It's it's genuinely appreciated. And I really wish we were doing this podcast in person right now <laughs> so I could give you a hug. Thanks, Maddie. I'll, I'll take the hug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting too because I think going along this journey, like even – you know, obviously I'm not a woman and obviously I didn't grow up in Egypt, but <laughs> as, a, as an Australian man, um, like, you know, the idea of self-love to me was like, oh, self-love. Like, you know, it was a bit like eye roll, a bit woo-woo, a bit like, what do you mean? Um, but even like sitting down, having conversations with um, middle-aged Australian women all the time, and I, w- I mean, we're starting to get like some Americans in and some Europeans in too, but even some of some of those women react to the idea of self-love and I actually have to frame it as self-respect yes. because they get kind of triggered by that self-love word. Yeah. Like, do you do you know why that might be or do, what's your experience with, with that kind of people being like, self-love, I, you know, somebody else should love me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, not not from that angle, but I used to get people like, oh, God, you're such a lover. Like, God, you really love yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and growing up, it was in my culture anyway, like if somebody gives you a compliment, you reject it right away. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you know, yeah. you, you push, it out, push it away and it's supposed to be humble. Mm. That's supposed to be you being humble. So I suppose in my culture, self-love is very egotistical. Or that's the way it was brought across to me. But if you want me to be honest, I think on an unconscious level, the reason that I put this program together as well was because of a limiting belief that, well, nobody else is going to love me, so I better learn how to love myself. But really, it's when I learn to love myself, others will learn to love me as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's, yeah, I think at the beginning, it's such a 
confusing thing because you think of the way that others have loved you, which in many instances, if you're in this situation, is not a healthy form of love. Um, mm. You know, it's like you said, it's enmeshment. It's, you know, trauma bonding. It's yes. codependency. And so the idea of loving ourselves in that same way sounds so toxic that it's mm. like my only example of love is terrible. So loving myself also sounds awful. Yeah, well, what I like to explain to, to my clients is, for the first time, we're doing an internal audit mm-hmm. of your life. What are you yeah. saying to yourself? Where did it come from? What are your beliefs? Did you choose them or did you inherit them? You know, what patterns do you have? Do you want to keep them or not? Sort of like, you know, when you defragment a computer, you find some software from freaking, oh, shit, this is from like 1954. Like, <laughs> it was 2022. Let me get rid of this old software that's my parents' shit. You know, it's slowing everything else down. And let yeah, me install totally. some new software. So... Yeah, yeah. internal it. I think that's awesome. I, I love it. I love it. Um, so when when you discovered, I guess, this you know inner child that needed nurturing and love, like and you still obviously had a lot of emotional eating going on then. What was the journey from then to sort of overcoming it, getting to the point that you were you know winning stage competitions with your body? What was different about that journey compared to losing weight beforehand? Completely different because. How do I frame this? Because suddenly I started listening to myself. Mm-hmm. That little girl that was always told, oh, I'm too busy or later or, you know, just felt like nobody was there for her. Suddenly I was there for her. Suddenly I was listening yeah. and I was paying attention. If I was upset or if I was stressed or if I was just emotionally eating, I'd pause or I'd let myself continue the emotional eating, but I'd be aware. What am I feeling right now? What am I suppressing right now? Mm-hmm. What's really upsetting me? And after I finish my binge, I'd spend some time thinking about it. First, identifying the emotion. What is the emotion? Is it overwhelm? Is it stress? Is it exhaustion? Is it like lack of self-worth? Is it fear? Like, what is it? What's the cause of it? And then how can I actually address this mm-hmm. instead of eating it and just pushing it down? So that took a while, of course. Years, actually, if I'm going to be honest, and the assistance of lots of other people, you know, lots of YouTube videos and Brian Tracy, personal development, all of that. And then the involvement of other coaches as well, just people to help me unravel things. And I've worked with lots of psychologists over the years. I'm working with another one now. Every time I find something else coming out of Pandora's box, I'm like, help. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I've always got a psychologist on the go. (laughs) Yeah, like someone help. (laughs) what does this mean (laughs) so it's turned into a learning journey and just learning about me instead of fighting me and punishing me and you know forcing me I'm working with me and I'm caring for me and I'm understanding me and I'm loving me and because of that I'm growing now it's not all like, you know, roses and butterflies and candles yeah. and like meditation and shit. It was like lots of crying and, you know, like breakdowns and, and all that. But I think once you accept that this is part of the journey, once you wrap your brain around emotional eating is you're eating your emotions and therefore you need to start listening to your emotions because I'm not sure. Do you know the book called Ask and It Is Given? Yeah. Your emotional guidance system. Mm-hmm. Your emotions are a guidance system. Don't push them down. Don't ignore them. Listen to them. Let them guide you. So that takes a while. 
Yes. Even just listening to your own thoughts and even like acknowledging that you're having an internal dialogue takes time, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a long journey. It's a long process. Um, you know, some people, some clients come in, they've started this journey somewhere else and they're just coming to tie loose ends. And some people, this is brand new to them and they need like a good 18 months consistent, you know, holding their hand and, and support. Yeah, I to get to- through that journey. I totally agree. Every time I'm on a conversation with somebody that's interested in working together, I always say, I want to be honest, this is uncomfortable. You might cry. Mm-hmm. This is going to take time. And we can't turn 30, 40, 50, 60 years of living one way around in just, you know, a few weeks. Like, we, yeah, and I, I'm super realistic with everybody. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a roller coaster. But um, interesting you mentioned in there Brian Tracy because mm. I think for myself on my own emotional healing, dealing with childhood trauma journey is that, like, if I didn't get into starting a business, like, and entrepreneurship, like, I would never have become, you know, this come this far down the the path of, like, emotional healing and personal development, mm. that kind of thing. Because being a small business owner encourages so much growth in so many ways. Do you feel that being put into a situation where you had to be your own boss really helped that journey? Absolutely. Like, being a business owner, especially in the personal development world, is all about your personal development. Like, mm-hmm. your business is an extension of you. It's you putting you out there into the world. And you're always evolving, you know, so your business always evolves and that's the only constant in life is change. So for yeah. your business to keep up with things, you got to keep up with things personally and then you got to keep reflecting that in your business. So yeah, the two go hand in hand. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, no, no, I feel the same. Like, And just being in rooms of people that are pushing themselves in different directions and being on Zoom calls with groups of other business owners that are like, you know, learning on the call, like I need to grow in this direction or I've got a limiting belief here. I find that so incredibly powerful. But obviously, not everyone can put themselves in a situation where they're self-employed. But I think one of the big things there is starting to to surround yourself with people that are willing to push the envelope and willing to go to that next level because... 
no matter how much you try, you know, if you're the people at home and your story is a perfect example of this, if the people at home are unsupportive, your husband's unsupportive, your kids are dragging you down, no, you can find the perfect self-love solution ever. But if you're still walking into that environment every single day, you're going to be um, victim to the environment, you know, because those people unfortunately control our lives and and that's the nature of all families we're pack animals and the people in our home have the the biggest influence on us um unless we're like a rebellious child that leaves egypt um (laughs) but but yeah so it's like you've got to get those people in your world on board with your journey do you have a strategy um that you work with your clients to get the people at home on board with their journey so they're not trying to tear them down Yes, I get them to involve everybody in the strategy. Mm-hmm. Like, so I get the I get them to sit down with the kids if the kids are young and go through the the meal plan and be like, "Yep, mum, we like these meals and these meals and these meals." So it's mm-hmm. a collective family decision, and yep. I don't I don't give diets. I give like meal plans with suggestions of the sorts of foods to eat and the sort of portions that would be right for that person. Um, but yeah, no, they sit down and it's a, it's a family effort and, you know, I have a a little, um, not a script, it's not the right word, a framework for them to use when they're talking to their partner, you know, and asking for support, how, how to bring that about as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, I'd say, I'd say about 50% of my clients need to have that conversation Mm -hmm. and it's massively important because the people that you spend the five people closest to you will influence like your income, your mood, your, your, your weight, everything, right? Like the average, right? The average of the five people you spend the most time with and family is not usually people that you can cut out if they're not, (laughs) if they're not at the level that you want them to be at. So yeah, you have to have to figure out how to make this entire journey sustainable for clients as opposed to like a short term thing. So the family has to be involved. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. It's um, and it can be some difficult conversations too because people often feel judged by your decision to be better, right? Yeah, interesting. It, yeah, it's like when you say no to a drink on Friday night, people are like, oh, you're not drinking, and their negative reaction is usually them feeling judged about the fact that you've made a different decision. Yeah, um, or like you know the gluten free thing or anything like that. It's like everybody else reacts negatively, even though nothing's happened to them. Literally yeah, nothing has, it has happened. nothing to do with them. <laughs> yeah. Somebody just said a few words about food. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're not asking them to eat it or not drink it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But it comes back to that pack animal thing, I think, which is like, you know, the pack is doing this and you're not doing this. This is concerning for the pack. Well, similar to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, um, enmenchment or the effect of that. Mm-hmm. I like to constantly remind my clients that people's emotion or people's words and actions are more a reflection of them than they are of you. Yeah. So take everything with a grain of salt. Like, mm-hmm. let people respond however they want to respond. Just understand it's a reflection of, of them and the story that they're telling themselves. Nothing to yeah. do with you. So separating that is very important. And don't forget also, Maddie, like, you being in their social circle, like, lifts, lifts their, their probability of success as well because you are that person whose life they want to model it after, right? Or their eating habits and their relationship with food. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of being a coach is even if, you know, the people around them at home are not the best example, well, now they have touch points with somebody who's an excellent example. Yeah, totally. And it builds from there. 
Well, and it's it was there was this really beautiful moment on a um, group coaching call last night, actually, where one of the women said, "Like, oh, I'm just so inspired by the vulnerability and honesty in this group of women." Like, and it was just so fantastic. And you're so right. Like, coming into this world by default opens you up to a group or a community of people that are all heading in the same direction. Generally speaking, that's it. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. And so, like, when when your clients struggle, I'm sure they reach out to your other clients as well, not just you. Yeah. So there's yeah. an entire community there. Boom. Magic. Yeah. Right, absolutely. <laughs> a question I wanted to ask, which is potentially a devil's advocate kind of question, sure. um, which is like ha- pairing up self-love and then like super low body fat stage kind of stuff. Because often when oh, yeah. I think of self-love, mm-hmm. um, I often think of people accepting themselves for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't often put self-love love and performance in the same mm-hmm. category, right? You yeah. know, it's very rare because usually people think performance is like, you know, ultra hardcore savage kind of kind of stuff. So I wanted to like just have a conversation and, and get your thoughts on putting like performance and self-love in that kind of same category. I love that question. Um, I actually had this conversation with a client just like three days ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I was saying to her, because she felt that, you know, well, if I love myself, then I should just accept, you know, myself and I shouldn't want to change. Mm-hmm. And I said, 1,000%, love yourself now. But loving yourself also means knowing that you are worthy of the best life mm-hmm. in the best body yeah. and that you are capable of getting there and therefore not settling. So, yes, love yourself. But loving yourself doesn't mean I'm not going to strive for anything. Mm-hmm. You can love yourself 1,000% and, and say, you know, I don't need to change anything. I'm lovable just as I am. I'm already enough. But I see this other option for me here where I can have a better quality of life, more energy, feel better in my body. And I deserve it and I want it and I'm going to go get it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know so if that answers your question. Yeah, that's right. And when I compete, I don't take any supplements. I do it all mm-hmm. natural. And I love how I feel because I'm super consistent with my training. I'm pushing myself, which really picks my confidence and my energy levels up. So Mm -hmm. I would not compete if it was, you know, as it used to be in the past or even one of those more extreme, you know, federations or categories where you're like, I have to be super ripped. I just do the bikini one, you know, where you're not even allowed to have a six pack. They just want some soft lines, you know, like a healthy body Mm -hmm. fat. You're not going ridiculous. And I don't stay there for more than maybe like two months of the year. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, what you're sharing right now reminds me of um, a a quote that the uh, Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, often says, which he he says, the worst thing to tell a child is that you're perfect as you are because it takes away the responsibility for them to improve and progress. And it it, it kind of rings a bell with what you're saying here, right, is that, yes, you can love yourself, you can be Mm. worthy, you can be happy as you are, but don't rob your future self of a better life. Absolutely, absolutely. And like also the example that you're setting, you know, you got to think about, the young people in your life who are looking up to you yeah. and ask yourself, how do you want their beliefs to shape? You know, do you want them to feel, yep, I can just, you know, put on as much weight and do nothing about it? Or do you want them to believe that, yes, I could put on as much weight and that's a reflection of where I was going through a hard time, but now I'm going to heal myself and let go of this excess fat and live my best life. Like, what do you want to teach them? Mm. So I find with a lot of clients, it's hard for them to think about, what they want to believe. But when I ask them about their children, 
then they're like, oh, no, I don't want them to believe that. Or even when they say certain things to themselves. And I say, would you say this to your child? And they go, oh, no, I wouldn't. So I find it's actually a tad bit easier with parents because they have that example of unconditional love, which maybe they haven't learned to give themselves yet, but that sets a really good foundation and benchmark for how to treat yourself, how to talk to yourself, how to push yourself. So when I... When I get them into the stage where they're starting to understand that they're becoming their own parents, mm-hmm. I help them understand the balance between like gentle love and tough love and the importance of balancing the two. Mm-hmm. So if your child has an exam tomorrow and their career depends on it and they don't feel like studying, are you going to be like, yeah, no worries, don't study? Or are you going to you know, employ some tough love and be like, (laughs) get your ass upstairs, you know, I'll make you a cup of coffee, but get your ass upstairs and do some studies. Mm -hmm. So helping them differentiate between, all right, when should I not be beating myself up and calling myself a piece of shit? But then when do I need to keep the promises that I made to myself? Yeah, it's interesting too, like after a lifetime of, um, you know, not being, well, and particularly in your story um, and in different variations and maybe to a lesser degree, it's very much true for most women, but like, you know, being silenced because or, you know, being told you can't have, you know, this or that, you end up creating a culture within your body where you continually betray your own boundaries. Um, And so you become an adult that's got kids that is not a trustworthy person to yourself because Mm. you have broken promises to yourself basically daily for decades. Um, And so you've got to rebuild or cultivate this like, oh, I actually do what I'm going to say I'm going to do. Like, and, and I have not done it for a long time. And so I've got to start building up this trust in your body where it's like, yeah, when I commit to something, I follow through. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes for a lot of women as well, that's become the case because there's decades and decades of putting everyone else first. So the promise that they make themselves at the beginning of the day, there's no time or energy for it at the end of the day because they've just given it all to everyone else. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, totally. That whole um, prioritizing self is is so incredibly challenging. And I think as well, mm-hmm. like possibly to go a layer deeper, but like our society with has become very um, individualistic uh, in the sense that we once st- – and, and not like I'm always banging on about tribes back thousands of years ago. And, <laughs> and I know we can't do that exactly, but I think we need to take a lot of uh, um, information from that time and use it today because it used to be that – for women, like the women would work together and raise all of the kids together um, and not, you know, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be one woman that has yes. to be absolutely every human to this group of kids. Yes. It was like, oh, actually, no, Marlene deals with those problems. And then if, if, if mm. you, someone comes to you for something, you're like, oh, no, go to Mary. Mary deals with that yes. stuff. Like, and it's a group of w- women carrying the, Takes the stress. Takes a village to raise a child. Exactly. Yeah, not anymore, though. That's the thing is that, like... The industrial movement stuffed it. It just totally. put us, segregated us in homes. And now, like you said, yeah, now we got to do everything. And then totally. the feminist movement came around. And now we're doing the man's job, too, in a lot of cases, too. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, so for a lot of us, we need to just slow down and, again, give ourselves permission to do less. But what I find with a lot of my clients is the doing, doing, doing is because on an unconscious level, they don't feel wanted so they need to feel needed gotcha yeah so they need to let go of that need to be needed and just be like i am enough i am loved 
yes, I'm loved. And I don't need to keep doing. Yeah. I could sit back and actually let someone else do it. I could receive. Yeah, totally. Like, I think you raised a really good point there too, like with the feminist movement. Like, I'm all for everybody doing anything they want to do. But Amen. to our physical bodies, there's actually a cost. Like, it doesn't matter how social or political we can get, there's still a biological cost for men too, trying to be, you know, superheroes that work 17 hours mm-hmm. a day. There's plenty of those clients that you and I can yeah. both help because they hate themselves. So it's not yeah. it's not even about feminism, but you know all mm. of these political social movements come at a biological cost, and unfortunately for women, that's going to be weight, that's going to be hormonal issues, that's going to be some really uncomfortable anxiety, depression, all of that kind of thing. And it's just wow. yeah, like I I get it intellectually. It's like yes, let's progress and all do everything and take over the world, but also it's like but your body's falling apart. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, find that balance. And that's the thing is um, the feminist movement has actually pushed women into their masculinity more. Mm. Yeah. So now I feel like there's a rise of the feminine energy again or a rebalancing like with the gender fluidity. Mm. Like that's a rebalancing of the feminine and masculine energy because our our world is highly masculine driven, right? It's a patriarchal society. Power Mm -hmm. defaults to the men. But now the the energies are being balanced again. So I'm hoping that us as women as well, we will learn to be more on our feminine energy of enjoying and, you know, slowing down and and just uh, uh, like receiving, mm-hmm. you know, instead of do, 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 do. So hopefully we could all as a society find a good balance with this gender fluidity thing that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Thanks. because you're so amazing, um, we need everybody to know how to find you. So where can they find you online? Sorry. Um, I am mostly on Facebook. It's essentially where I run my entire business. So they can search for a Facebook group called Transforming Bodies with Mm Self-Love. And I'll be there. We'll put the link in the show notes below for everybody listening. Amazing. Yeah, that's probably the best way to go. Yeah. Um, And so a couple of questions to wrap up. So what did you believe five years ago that you no longer believe now? What did I believe five years ago that I no longer believe now? Five years ago, I believed who am I for anybody to listen to me? That's a big change. Yeah. And that held me back from starting this business. Mm -hmm. And then I changed that belief to, because I was sitting around waiting for somebody else to do this. I was like, I'll just wait for somebody else to discover like self-love for weight loss. Then I'll jump on their bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And then one day I thought, why not me? Why not me? Great question. Yeah. Why not me? <laughs> well, I know and that everybody that's been a part of your world so far is very glad that you decided, why not me? <laughs> I'm so glad that I did too. And it was a big, big leap of faith, Maddie. But it started with um, getting rid of a lot of shame. So, for example, I used to think I was stupid. I did because I was raised being told you're stupid (laughs) a lot. Um, And so that was tied in there a lot too. Like, who's going to listen to me? I'm stupid. So I had to come back home and I pulled out all my certificates and medals and letters of recommendations. I was like, oh, it turns out I'm pretty freaking smart. I put them up everywhere. And it was a reframing of of that. Like, I, I don't need to be somebody who plays small and hides and is scared and says, you know, who's going to listen to me? Mm-hmm. It's been a journey. Like, did it happen overnight? But now that belief is, why not me? Such a great transformation. 
And for everybody listening, because there's so much goodness in this episode, um, but of all the things you've learned, if there's one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about, what would it be? One piece of health information that I wish people knew about, yes. I want people to know that diets make you fat. The, the diet industry makes over $73 billion a year and obesity rates are still going up. And this is because the diet industry, they're not stupid, <laughs> but they're selling us programs and ideas and information that does not work. And when we regain all the weight, because really diets are designed to increase our fat storage and lower our metabolism, which we all do fabulously well on diets, mm-hmm. then we blame ourselves. Diet industry goes, oh, that's your fault. Yeah. And we go, yeah. It's my fault because I'm not good enough, because I'm not strong enough. So I just want people to understand you need to get off the diet wagon first because that's what's ruining your metabolism. That's what's making it easier for you to gain weight. So I would only want to tell you like what to do. Just here's what not to do first. Quit that first. Great advice. And then once you've done that, come and hang out with Marlene or me. <laughs> Maddie, that's it. That's it. I recommend you just as much as me, Maddie. Like I, like I said, I'm in awe of you. Yeah. Oh, go to Maddie. You as guys. well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But thanks so much for for jumping on this uh, show and having a conversation. Thank it's, you for having Yeah, it's me. been really beautiful. Um, and I'll put thanks, all of Maddie. your links down in the show notes notes below. And if anybody listening, um, has gotten anything from this episode. Feel free to take a screenshot, share it into your social media or share it with a family member that you might uh, think needs to hear this kind of thing and show that change is possible. It is possible to get out of some horrible situations, particularly with family um, and, yeah, take some inspiration from Marlene's journey. So thanks for being here, Marlene, and we'll catch up really soon. Thank you. All right. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.